a few days ago, Umpo Sumedho spoke of the mind when it's fully awake, simply being consciousness knowing itself. He uses the word consciousness in a, a very uh, particular way. As Ajahn Sajito was saying last night, you can also use the word awareness or knowing for the same. These are words that point to the same quality. When the mind is awake, when the heart is fully attentive, free of grasping, and there's consciousness knowing itself. Or you can say the mind aware of its own nature. Or you can say there's the Dhamma aware of its own nature. The word Dhamma means the way things are. It comes from a root meaning that which supports that which upholds, that which integrates. When we use the word nature, the Pali for that is Dhamma Jati, born of the Dhamma, from which the Thai language has the word Tamachad. So just as there's no aspect of body or mind which is not an aspect of nature. This means the body, the mind, all bodies, all minds, the whole material, non-material realm, the whole field of experience. These are all aspects of nature, aspects of Dhamma. So when the mind is fully awake, fully aware, what's experienced is Dhamma. Dhamma aware of its own nature. And the effect of that knowing, that awakened awareness, is a quality of freedom, spaciousness, simplicity. Clarity. The process of the development of insight, liberation, is a, clarif a clarifying of that quality of awareness. Awakened awareness, consciousness. The habit of mind is to take everything very personally. This mind, this body, seems to be unique and separate. My thoughts, my feelings, my memories, my hunger my comfort, my discomfort, me in here, 
you out there. I'm in the temple. The birds are outside, sitting on the trees, singing their morning songs. The sun is in the sky. Here we are. This very life, this meeting point of awareness that we call ourselves, this is where life is experienced. So we take what's felt here to be more real, more special. We take it personally. So we relate to feelings of fear, aversion, feelings of desire, opinions, as if we, we were the ones who invented fear, as if I invented anger or I invented desire. We take the body very personally. It's aches and pains, it's aging process, comfort, discomfort. The pain in my knee causes me worry. The pain in your knee is less interesting to me. If I was perfectly compassionate, they'd be just the same. But the conditioning is that my pain is more important than your pain. My problems are more real, more important than yours. My memories, my capacities, because they're felt here, they seem more real. But this is just the power of conditioning, the conditioning of birth. Experiencing the field of perception through this particular channel, this particular porthole, these eyes, these ears, this nose, this tongue, this body, this mind. It makes this zone of experience far more real. But the Buddha's teaching keeps pointing to the fact that it's not real. It's just a seeming. It's just an appearance. It feels that way. This opinion feels right. This pain feels substantial. This desire feels compelling. It has to be answered. It has to be fulfilled. But the teachings point over and over again, directly, simply, to this simply being the appearance of things. In the Anattalakana Sutta, the discourse on not-self, the Buddha spells out a way of analyzing experience, our feelings of pleasure and pain, neutral feelings, pleasant experiences through the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness goes through each chunk of body and mind, each khanda, and explores it, piece by piece. 
Is the body changing? Yes. Does the body respond to our wishes? Can you say to the body, be like this, don't be like that? No. Our feelings, can we make them be as we wish? Can we say to a, a painful feeling, stop, I want you to be pleasant instead? No. The body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, they don't respond. They don't obey personal will. They're not self. Ne tang mama ne so hamasmi na me so me ata. These are not mine. These are not what I am. These are not myself. So the Buddha spells out this way of exploring, analyzing experience, to look at that very feeling of, but these are my thoughts, but I do want, but I shouldn't have. It does hurt. He gives us these tools to explore this sense of owning, being, identifying with thoughts and feelings, memories, ideas, sensations, the body, the world, the people around us. To look directly, to explore, to challenge those seemings. To ask, is that so? This sense of discomfort, it feels solid, this ache in my hip, it feels real. But what's actually there? What's the fabric of this experience? And who is it that's experiencing it? What is the thing here that is somehow owning that sensation? What is it? Where is it? Is it a person? With the insight meditation, the capacity of the mind to investigate, to explore, as a challenging of these assumptions. And we use the reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta as those tools to help support the exploring, the dissolving of the illusion, the dissolution of appearances. And when that quality of insight, clear seeing is applied, then the heart shifts as a turning, as Ajahn Sajito put it, as a turning. There's an, oh, Aha. Uh-huh. I call that a feeling in my knee, but it's simply a pattern of consciousness known here. The place where my knee is, is a mental fabrication. I call it down there on the left. But where is down? Three-dimensional space is only a function of material world. Mind does not exist anywhere. Place only applies 
in relation to the physical world. So even though we say, my knee is down there on the left, that perception is a mental fabrication, a set of patterns of consciousness forming, dissolving. There's no thing there. And this is not something that has to be believed or taken on trust, but it can be known directly. Bringing that power of investigation, Dhamma Vijaya, Yoniso Manasikara, wise reflection, investigation of reality, to explore this thought seems so compelling, a memory that's so painful. What is it? Who does it belong to? Where is it? A memory arises again when it's looked at, explored, seen as a pattern of consciousness, taking shape, doing its thing, dissolving. There's no substance, no core, no heart, no essence. There's a shape, but no substance. When the Buddha gave a series of reflections on emptiness in relationship to the five khandhas, each one is a, a sense of form, but no essence. So the body, rupa, is like a, a, water, a lump of foam on the river. Feeling is like a water bubble when a raindrop hits a puddle. It forms a, a bubble, a hemisphere. There's a shape, but no core. The bubble pops. The foam on the river dissolves. Perceptions are like a mirage, like a hazy image in the desert. Sankara, mental formations, emotions, memories, ideas, intentions, imagination. It's like the, the trunk of a banana tree, or a, like a leek or an onion. Layers and layers of leaves, but no trunk, no core. And consciousness is like a conjuring trick. It seems like the rabbit comes out of the hat, but it wasn't really there. It was a trick, a seeming. As this is explored, we bring the power of attention, investigation to each thought, each feeling, each sensation, each perception. Whether it's a perception of the mind in here or the world out there, this person, that person. Then the eye-making and mind-making falls away we see that the person is compounded moment by moment. It's put together 
this I, this individual. It's an aggregation, a coming together. Lots of atoms and molecules form to call, to call something a chair, microphone, body, building, planet. A particular form is made, but there's no fundamental substance. The sense of I and me and mine becomes more transparent, falls away, loses its ability to convince. The mind of wisdom sees through the conjuring trick sees through the appearance, recognizes, oh, there was no thing there. And this knowing, this mind, that which is at the very heart of experiencing, the mind is not a person. It's recognized there is knowing, as this consciousness, awakened awareness, however we want to call it. It's completely alive, awake, but it's not a person. It's not female or male. It's not a monastic or a layperson. It's not old or young. It has no shape, no age, no location. This body is sitting on the Dhamma seat in the temple, Amravati. But where is that experienced? Even to say here is not quite right. There's knowing. The mind is awake. Sound arises, feelings in the body, thoughts, perceptions. The personhood is put together. Like the enlightened nun Vajira describing the five khandas to Mara when he came to try to confuse her, trick her, put her off her practice. She said, this, this person is like a, like a chariot. There's wheels and a, an axle, a shaft, spokes of the wheels, the rims. Put it all together, you call it chariot. But there's no essential chariot there. So too with this being, we take these memories, this body, these thoughts, these feelings, they're put together and we say, me, I am Ajahn Amaro, that's who I am. But with clear seeing, this is recognized as a convenient fiction. It's just a seeming, an appearing. The mind is not a person. 
doesn't belong to a person. Its qualities are felt here, known here, present in this field of awareness. But it's only through ignorance that a, a person is created. Me, this separate individual, living in relationship to that world out there. The more the heart disentangles, the more the habits of identification and attachment are allowed to dissolve. There's a transparency, a freeing, an easing, a de-stressing. And as Lumpur Sumato pointed out, doesn't mean that suddenly we dissolve or the body disappears in a puff of smoke or a blaze of light. The body carries on, the personality carries on. Duties and relationships, the laws of nature, the patterns of the world of form, they carry on. But they're understood. They're recognized for what they are. This body, this personality, it's just a wave on the ocean. How could one wave be totally separate and distinct from the other waves? It's all the same substance. It's all one Dhamma. And the mind is not a person. This awareness is not a person. But it really feels like me, doesn't it? So we turn the attention onto that feeling of meanness, iness. But this is mine. I have got a problem. This does belong to me. This is what I am. I'm just being realistic, honest. I'm honoring the way things are. I am this person. We turn the attention onto those feelings of I. Iness, the feelings of being, amness. What is that? What's its substance? Where is it experienced? What is it that knows it? We use this kind of inquiry to explore, to examine, to challenge the 10,000 presumptions that are made. Now, to support the, the practice of insight, we can actively use this kind of questioning. Particularly if you see there's an area of identification, grasping, identifying with your gender, your age, your achievements, your lack of achievements. Your health, 
social status, whatever it might be. Where the mind gets stuck, bring attention to that point where it feels most gnarly and knotted. The sense of I seems most inarguable. That's the place to bring the question. If you're very identified with being a Buddhist, but I am a Buddhist. I have total faith in the triple gem. I'm a Buddhist. I am. What is it that knows that feeling of certainty? Is that a person? What is it that experiences that faith? Is it the owner? How is anything actually owned? And what would it be that does the owning? When we ask these kind of questions, what is it that's experiencing this? Who is it that knows this moment? We're not looking for a verbal answer. It's not a question seeking a conceptual answer. But rather the question is used to illuminate the assumptions that are being made. When we ask the question, who is hearing this morning reflection? What is it that's aware of this? When we ask the question, who? The point of that is in the stillness and the quietness of the mind, it's recognized that who is a stupid question. Something in the heart goes, oh, it's not really a who, it's more of a what. And that strangeness of the word who That's the clue. Oh, there's a presumption that there's a me who's a person who's hearing this, who's thinking about this, who's understanding it or not understanding it. But when the, the question who is placed with sincerity, deliberately, something in the heart goes, ooh, that's not quite right. It's not really a who that's aware. It's just awareness, just knowing. Aha. So the point of this kind of questioning is just that, aha. To awaken that wisdom of the heart that recognizes this isn't really a person here. There isn't really an owner. We use the questioning, the reflecting, to illuminate the attachments and assumptions that are made. Who does this moment belong to? Who does this mind belong to? 
before the thinking mind jumps in and says, me, or comes up with a name. There's a moment of, all right, uh-huh. There's a pause, a gap, as Lumpur Sumedho would usually point out. There's a gap before the self-creating habit steps in and starts creating a me who's the doer, a me who's the experiencer, a me who's the, the thinker or the actor. There's a gap where the wisdom of the heart recognizes who is the wrong question. Owning is not, is not it. How can any thing own anything else? How can this awareness own any pattern of experience? It arises and takes shape in this sphere of awareness, but to say, I experience, or my mind, these are my thoughts, the wisdom of the heart recognizes that's not quite right. And in that, that pause, that gap, there's a clarity, a simplicity, before the chattering mind and the conditioned habits fill up the space. In that moment of challenge, there's peacefulness, Alertness, clarity, brightness. So it's up to each one of us to identify where are the areas of identification, the feelings of owning, of being, where are they strongest? Where are they most convincing, compelling? Bring the attention to that spot. Question it. If, I, if there's a judging of oneself as a bad person, I'm a bad person. What is it that knows that judgment? Who does that badness belong to? If we bring the mind to a greatest quality of quietness, stillness, focusing on the presence, listening to the inner sound or the breath, the mind be as still as possible and then pose that kind of question. Who am I? Who does this moment belong to? Who does this mind belong to? And when that kind of question is posed deliberately, carefully, dropped into the silence of the mind, notice the pause, the gap, before an answer arises.
That's the moment where the heart recognizes who is the wrong question? What is the wrong question? Is clarity, simplicity, peacefulness? Embodying that quality This is Dhamma aware of its own nature, consciousness knowing itself, the mind awake to the, its own present reality, that's all. Supremely simple, supremely peaceful, uncomplicated, limitless, natural, completely ordinary. Let the heart rest in that spacious, awake simplicity. Let it embody that. And then when the thinking mind wades in and says, I am spacious awareness, that's what I am. I'm the Dhamma, yay! Wrong. <laughs> It gets you the uh, gets you the, the exit bell. As the Buddha pointed out, when the mind thinks, "I'm at peace. I'm without clinging. I have realized nibbana," the way the mind uses the words "I," "I am at peace. I'm without clinging. I have realized nibbana," that declares the clinging that is still there. So we watch that urge to claim bhavatana, the desire to become, the desire to be something. The Dhamma is not a thing. It's not a thing in the universe of other things. It's realized through the relinquishment of things the dissolving of acquisitions, relinquishment, renunciation, letting go. Because when we let go, nothing is really lost except what is obscuring the Dhamma. All that's lost is the, the seemings, the false appearances. What's lost is the illusion, and what's realized is the reality. It's not really gained, because it's already what you are. It's more that what is already the, the fact is revealed when the appearances dissolve. 